Let's pray this morning. Father Almighty, I pray that you would open our hearts. In Paul's words to the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That we would begin to know the hope to which we have been called. That we would begin to know the riches of your glorious inheritance. And that we would begin to know today particularly the greatness of your power towards us. Amen. There are certain things that Christians claim that are almost too incredible, too big for us to understand without grace flowing into our hearts. They're the sort of things that either are the most incredible truth in the world or else they're just a nice sentiment that we tell ourselves to feel better. Saying Jesus is king is like this. Jesus is king. This is either the most profound truth that has ever been uttered. That right now Jesus is actually on a throne governing all of history. It's either the most profound truth that's ever been uttered, or it's just a sentiment we tell ourselves to reassure our hearts when things aren't going well. If we're honest, much of what we believe actually falls in this category. Romans 1 tells us that creation alone is sufficient to demonstrate that God exists and that He should be honored. But Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that the word of the cross is actually foolishness to the world. In other words, in our natural strength by looking at creation, we could come to the conclusion that God exists and that we ought to worship Him. But it takes special grace. It actually takes illumination by the Holy Spirit to grasp, to accept the reality that God entered the world as a human baby and was slaughtered by those that He had created. This, by the way, is why plenty of people can say, I believe in God. But if you were to press them and say, do you believe that a virgin gave birth? They would say, well, Jesus was a good man, a teacher. I believe in God. There are things that cannot be grasped with our ordinary senses. They are just beyond us. Virgins don't give birth. There's things that we cannot prove just with logic. There are things beyond this. In other words, there are things of faith that only God can reveal to us. We oftentimes take these things of faith for granted. It's like we don't realize the magnitude of what we're actually claiming. It doesn't shock our hearts. We take these deep truths for granted. But even when we believe them, there's many times, if we are honest, that we struggle to understand them or receive them deep in the depths of our hearts. There are times when God seemingly opens our spiritual eyes, when everything changes because we finally grasp, really grasp, what it means that God sacrificed Himself for us. There's times that He gives us glimpses, glimpses, as it were, of heaven 
He opens our eyes. But there are many other times when these words that we state are difficult to understand. And we live almost as if they are not true. The claims of the faith are beyond mere experience, beyond mere logic. God actually has to open our hearts if we're to receive them. He actually has to enlighten us to take them in. Because of this difficulty, that there are things that are beyond our logic where we need revelation and grace to open us up to this. Because of this, it's fairly easy to begin to reduce Christianity to the parts that make sense naturally. It's fairly easy to reduce it to, I should be a good person because God wants me to be a good person. We can get our minds around that bit. It's fairly easy to reduce it to, well, God forgives me because everybody makes mistakes. We can get our minds around that. We reduce it to something that we can understand. And we end up making the entire thing much smaller than it actually is. We turn the faith, in other words, into manageable platitudes. Something to reassure us. But when we do that, we strip it of its power. We strip it of its glory. When we do that, we find ourselves living by our own strength. What would happen? What would happen if your heart grasped at the deepest level? What would happen if it sunk deep to the depths of your soul? What would happen if you truly believed that God had actually adopted you? It's one of those bits that we claim that is beyond our logic. What would change if you knew to the depths of your soul that God says you have a seat at my table? You are one of my family. You were included and chosen. We strip it of its power when we turn those things into platitudes and don't let them sink to the depths of our soul. What would change if you actually came to terms with the life that flows through you right now is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are someone else's. And the life that flows through you is life that's given to you by the very Son of God. As Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. These are things we claim, but they're beyond our logic. And we need God to actually open our hearts, give grace, enable us to understand them. These aren't platitudes that we tell ourselves to feel better. They're actually the most startling claims that the world has ever heard. They're stunning. If we grasp them, it would change everything. But they're too big to get our minds around in our own strength. And so we frequently turn them into nice sentiments, nice thoughts to reassure ourselves. And then we live as if they're not true. This problem... The difficulty of getting our hearts and our minds around the faith is why Paul prays for the Ephesians in chapter 1 that they would actually have spiritual understanding. Look at verses 16 through 18 of this passage we just heard. He says at the end of verse 16, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory. This is his prayer. May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's not the only place that he prays this. And the fact that he prays this multiple times in his letters makes it clear that we need this prayed for us. We need to pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. There's too much that we're confronting in the faith that we can't understand by our own power. We need the Spirit of God to actually open us up, to give us understanding. In Paul's words, to enlighten the eyes that are deep within us. Like the Ephesians, we need our hearts woken up, enlightened, so that we can actually understand God. Paul knew that the Ephesians, just like us, if they actually understood, everything would change. And so this is his prayer for them. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlivened. I'm praying that you would wake up and be able to grasp what I'm saying to you. If you look at the verses that follow, this is verses 18 through 19, he actually tells them the things that he hopes that they would be able to understand in this spiritual enlightenment. He says, I hope that you would know what is the hope to which you've been called, what the riches are of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. He's praying for them so that they would have eyes that can understand the hope that they've been called into. He's praying for them that they would have ears that could actually hear and hearts that could grasp the inheritance that's actually offered. And he's praying for them that their hearts would be open, that they would be able to understand the power that God is working for them. These three things, the hope that they're called to, the inheritance that's offered to the saints, and the power that God is working for those who believe. These three things are the sort of things that we risk turning into platitudes because they're beyond our ability to understand in our own strength. But Paul doesn't want them robbed of their power. And so his prayer for the Ephesians is that your heart would be open, wide, full of understanding and revelation so that you would actually know these things, grasp these things. In typical Pauline fashion, he actually goes on to exposit them throughout the letter. It's his normal pattern. He prays for something and then explains it. It's actually an interesting exercise to read Ephesians, thinking about the hope that we've been called to, the inheritance that we've been offered, and the power that God works for us who believe. He's expositing them throughout the letter. But at the beginning, he just simply prays, I pray that you would be able to understand we won't talk about all the three of these today. We don't have time. We're only going to mention the last one, the power that he has towards us. And we're not even going to do justice to that. We couldn't exhaust this well if we spent three days here. I'm not going to try. But as we linger for a few moments about the power of God working for those who believe, my prayer for y'all is the same as my prayer is for me that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would actually begin to glimpse what we know already and see just a glimpse 
of God's power for us. We're going to linger on that one today rather than the first two, the hope or the inheritance, because it's the first one that Paul begins to describe. The rest of the verses in this passage actually begin to explain God's power. But we're also going to linger on it because it fits this day. Today is the Sunday after Ascension Day. On Thursday, on Thursday was the feast when we commemorated the ascension of our Lord into heaven. And Paul, in describing Christ seated on the heavenly places over all rule and authority, is describing what happened at the ascension. We tend to think of Jesus ascending because, well, I don't know, he just had to go away. And then he gave the Spirit. And we don't really know what to do with the fact that he left. Why didn't he linger? Wouldn't that have been better? Maybe his disciples struggled with this. And we think, well, at least there he can pray for us. But we really don't have much of an answer for why he left. Paul's actually explaining it. And he explains it in 1 Corinthians 15. And it shows up throughout the New Testament that Jesus had to be enthroned. He had won the victory. And so he went back and sat on the throne and received all the power there was to receive. We're actually going to sing a song about this that comes out of Revelation 5. A beautiful song about the worthiness of Jesus because he conquered. That's what was going on in the ascension. He was going back to the throne to be honored before all of heaven and given every rule and authority. Paul's describing that in verses 20 through 23. He says the power that he works for us is according to the working of that same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but it also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In other words, Paul's saying to the Ephesians and to us, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you could glimpse the power God is working for you. And then he says, if you want to understand that power, that was what was on display when Jesus was elevated to the highest throne in every other ruler, authority, force, spiritual, material, mental, they were all subjected to him, put under his feet. Do you want to know the power he's exhibiting towards you? That power that elevated the Son of God to the very throne of heaven and forced everything under his feet. That's the power he's working on your behalf. What does it mean that every power rule and authority, have been subjected to the authority of Jesus, have been placed under his feet, that they are being subjected to him. It's part of our confession of faith. But this is, again, one of those truths that's just too big for us. We need the eyes of our heart enlightened. Think with me just for a minute as we pray that God would open us up to realize what's going on. Let's start at the top the very biggest truths. Paul claims that at the ascension, 
every power was subjected to Jesus. This means that the power of the devil himself was broken at that moment. And that he was placed under the feet of Jesus, crushed, that he is being forcibly subjected to the rule of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul describes these things like a snapshot where we see them in their completion. In 1 Corinthians, he describes them in a process, and we see that these things are going on as we speak, but that one day they will be complete. Jesus ascends, and all the powers of evil are subjected to him or placed under his feet. Jesus ascends in death. The great enemy of mankind has its power broken and is being forcibly subjected to him. Again, thoughts that are beyond us. But what we were being told is that one day, death itself will be under the feet of Jesus, conquered and vanquished and no more. That all suffering and dying will be undone. That death will give up all the prisoners that have been taken. My hope today is actually to open our eyes to go, let us not take this for granted. Because in taking it for granted, we rob it of its power. Our confession is that death is under the feet of Jesus, being subjected to him, being destroyed. As we speak, he is active. The way the argument works, though, is that if the big things If the devil and death are subjected to his feet, the little things are also subjected to his feet. These, by the way, are easier to understand. If the devil is being subjected to the Lord, forced under his feet because he has all rule and authority, then so is your sin, and so is my sin. This is the place where we begin to grasp, where it begins to make sense. Can you imagine the day when every last temptation, every last failure, every last sin is under the feet of Jesus, robbed and broken of its power, taken away from you forever and ever? That's what Paul's claiming happened in the ascension. Every authority, every power, every name, all of it is under the feet of Jesus being subjected to him. Again, the argument from the greater to the lesser. If death itself is being subjected to him, forced under his authority, that means that every last bit of suffering, every last bit of hurt, every last bit of pain will be actually taken and subjected to him as well. All of it lifted from your shoulders, under his feet, conquered by him. God's power for us Because this is what Paul is describing. God's power for us, his power for you, is seen in the exaltation of Jesus. It's accomplished in the exaltation of Jesus. We look around and we see suffering and sin in the world. We see evil in the world. We look around and we see brokenness. We look at our own lives and we see suffering. We see selfishness. We see evil. It's shot through creation, it seems. And it seems like we can never get rid of it. But Paul's statement is that in the ascension, all those things are gathered up and being forced under the feet of Jesus, 
being conquered. God says all of this, all of this has a shelf life, and all of it will end crushed under his feet. The devil himself, he will be subjected to the rule of Jesus. No power to deceive anyone else. Wicked, persecuting nations that destroy the innocent, they will be subjected to the rule of Jesus, conquered under his feet. The bad politicians, they will be subjected to the feet of Jesus under his feet. Perhaps what is more important now, your sin and my sin, conquered, done away with, broken, under the feet of Jesus. The brokenness that haunts our families, broken under the feet of Jesus, conquered by him. Paul, in describing the ascension, says that this is his power for you. For you. My hope today is that as you grapple with this, you begin to see that all those places that haunt, all those places that cause fear, all those places that cause anxiety, that all of those places are being gathered up and subjected to our Lord as He sits on His throne. And that we, because we are made one with Him, have nothing left to fear, have nothing left to be anxious about. This is the reality of the ascension, that the Lord has won the victory and that He is seated on the throne and that He is gathering all things into subjection and what we hear is at the end, he will purge and cleanse and destroy and cleanse again so that all that is left is glory and beauty and love. And then he will turn and offer it to the Father as an offering. This is what's going on right now. Like I said, these are truths too big for our minds, but they can be received by faith. And so I pray that the eyes of our heart are enlightened. As you all leave here today, as you grapple with the world that we live in, the truth that should come ringing back to us is that Jesus Christ is at work for us. His power knows no limits. He is seated at the throne and He is bringing all things into subjection under His feet. A Christian has no need to fear with a Lord like this. Amen.